You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Hi listeners, Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, your community radio station. To get it off the plate straight away, no Kevin, with this is the week that was this morning, had to pre-record this week and half a week is just not good enough but all will be back to normal next week. Last Saturday made up for COVID lockdown when it came to demonstrations. We'll do in reverse order the three different demonstrations that happened on Saturday. First, we'll take you to the free Julian Assange rally in Treasury Gardens. We move on to the anti-AUKUS rally outside the State Library and then the trans rights anti-fascist rally that started in Carlton Gardens and then took a rowdy turn outside Parliament House where masses of police lined up to protect the British anti-trans speaker Kelly J. Keane, also known as Posey Parker, who was teamed with at least one LMP member of Parliament and a group of young men in brand new black attire dancing around doing full Nazi salutes. But to start the program, we go outside the Federal Court, corner of William and Latrobe on Monday morning, where former Senator Rex Patrick and Isabel Reinick, who's the Executive Director of Granta Fund, were about to step into the court to argue that under Australian law, public decision makers like the Information Commissioner are required to act without reasonable delay. They were asking the Federal Court to decide how long the Information Commissioner can take to make review decisions and under what circumstances these kinds of delays are reasonable. The former Independent Senator Rex Patrick currently has over 20 contested Freedom of Information applications awaiting review by the Information Commissioner, some of which have been sitting with the Information Commissioner for over three years, a full term of government, awaiting a decision. And it's quite interesting to look at what some of those outstanding FOIs include. Uh, Oil and gas proceeding options for the Greater Sunrise Oil and Gas Resources in the Timor Sea, National Radioactive Waste Management Facility Ministerial Briefings, uh, Foreign Investment Review Board Decision and Conditions on the Sale of Bellamy Australia to uh, a Chinese company, Baseline Schedule and Milestone Payment Details for Snowy 2, and Stage 3 Tax Cuts Ministerial Brief. 
all pretty interesting stuff. Currently, the Information Commissioner is under no legal obligation to reach a decision within a specific period of time. This case is being underwritten by the Granta Fund and the Australia Institute, giving the former Senator some protection financially from a possible adverse finding. Despite the importance of the FOI to a functioning democracy, he said most people are too frightened to take this type of legal challenge because it could cripple them financially. This is what was said on Monday outside the court. Today I'm in court against the Australian Information Commissioner. FOI in Australia is broken. We currently have a situation where when you make a request for contemporary information, it gets returned three or four years later as historical information. Delay is the enemy of FOI and the Information Commissioner is aiding and abetting that enemy. I'm hoping that we'll get a declaration from the court that uh, tells the Information Commissioner what is a reasonable time frame uh, for her to do an FOI review. Uh, clearly three to four years is too long. We need to find where is the sweet spot, what's reasonable. People are entitled to have access to information. They're currently not getting it uh, and that needs to change. The Office of the Australian Information Commissioner is clearly under-resourced. Uh, I have an affidavit in these proceedings signed by the now Attorney General Mark Dreyfus uh, saying that he's having all sorts of problems in relation to his FOI requests. He's now completely responsible for resourcing. Uh, it is under-resourced. It was starved by Tony Abbott. Uh, that was uh, then allowed to continue by both uh, uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison. Mr Albanese is doing no different. This has to change. We need resources to properly give effect to FOI. Uh, information is the currency of power in a democracy and uh, our citizens are being starved of it. Governments always like to release information on their terms and at a time that suits them. They don't like people understanding uh, what's happening inside government. But the reality is that government uh, works for public purpose and everything they do is paid for by the public and the public are entitled to know what it is that our government is doing for us. We know from Senate estimates that there are about 40 uh, citizens around Australia that haven't had their FOI review answered since 2018. That's five years. We know that there's uh, something like 1,500 FOIs uh, that have not been uh, reviewed uh, over the last four or five years. Uh, this is a, a failure in terms of democracy. Uh, we have to do something to fix it. I do FOIs all around the country and in South Australia we actually managed to get ombudsman's reviews carried out within about three months. That's about the right time frame in my mind. You need to be able to put a request in, have uh, an answer returned and reviewed if necessary, uh, whilst the, the debate related to that information is being carried out, whilst the decisions are being made, whilst the laws are being passed, not four years after the event. The Commonwealth Government has spent at least $700,000 on this uh, matter, fighting against the release of information in a timely fashion. Uh, I think that cost will rise to well over a million dollars. Uh, it's 
grossly offensive to, to, for people to know that their money is being spent trying to keep information that belongs to them away from them. There's actually not much point and not much ability to hold government accountable if you're not receiving information about them within their term of government. The law is really designed to uphold democracy and the court today is going to be considering what is a reasonable amount of time for the government to hold information secret before releasing it. This is just one area of problem with the FOI system. We've released a 10-part report which shows that there are many, many systemic issues within the FOI system that really need to be addressed urgently. There are a range of areas including the amount of time and money it takes to access FOIs. Another example that is little known is that when a minister changes portfolio, then all of the information held by that minister ceases to exist for the purposes of the FOI Act. So as soon as you change a portfolio or change minister, people are unable to access any of the information that was previously held by that minister. Here in Melbourne, Tiffany Ackerman, who's doing all of the work pro bono, up against a uh, Goliath team of a senior counsel, a junior counsel, uh, uh, commercial lawyers and the Australian Information Commissioner's uh, instructing solicitors. Um, uh, Tiffany is doing all of the work uh, gratis. Uh, the taxpayer is funding the Information Commissioner's team. This is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yauru country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, your community radio station. Now we go back to Saturday and to the rally to raise awareness that Julian Assange is a political prisoner and needs to be brought home. First we hear from Dean Yates, the man who was the bureau chief for Reuters when the US Apache murdered 12 men, two of his people, depicted in the collateral murder video that has been used, or rather not used, to keep Julian Assange in Mexican security prison, but he is the shadowy element that the US government would like to suppress. We will also hear some words from David McBride, the army whistleblower who blew the lid on unlawful killing of Afghan prisoners by Australian personnel. Thank you everyone for turning out. It's an amazing turnout and I just love this. I really feel the momentum emerging. I really do. I can feel it. I've got a message for Prime Minister Albanese. On this day, the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, and it's a message that I want him to hear loud and clear. Prime Minister Albanese, my name is Dean Yates. I was the Reuters bureau chief in Iraq when an Apache gunship with a call sign 1-8 killed 12 men in Baghdad on July 12, 2007. Two of those men were Reuters photographer Namir Noor Eldin and Reuters driver Sayed Chum. In an off-the-record briefing two weeks later, I was told by two American generals that the group of men that included Namir and Sayed, my staff, were showing hostile intent and thus could be attacked. I was shown, without advance warning, less than three minutes of footage from the gun camera of Crazy Horse 1-8 
up to where it opened fire for the first time. US forces, I was told, had acted in accordance with the rules of engagement. For nearly three years, lawyers from Reuters tried to get a copy of this tape from the Pentagon through freedom of information requests so we could understand what had happened. Better protect our staff in Iraq. The Pentagon repeatedly refused. Then, on April 5, 2010, Julian Assange published video of the entire attack. The classified footage had been sent to WikiLeaks by US military whistleblower Chelsea Manning. It was obvious why the US government didn't want to share the tape with Reuters. It shows grainy figures on a Baghdad street, the hellish clack of the Apache's chain gun, clouds of dust as cannon shells crash into men. A wounded man, Sayed Chum, father of four, trying to crawl for three minutes. When a good Samaritan, taking his two children to school in his minivan, stops to help Sayed, permission to attack is again granted. Crazy Horse 1-8 fired 120 rounds at the van. Mr. Assange called the video collateral murder. It shocked millions of people around the world. International legal experts called the attack on the minivan a war crime. Now, the US indictment against Mr. Assange is an attempt to criminalize what journalists do, getting information from sources and then publishing the material. But this tape, one of the greatest scoops in journalism in recent times, which catapulted Mr. Assange into the international spotlight, made WikiLeaks a household name, was not among the 18 charges. That is because the US government didn't want the video in a courtroom. Too embarrassing. Potential war crimes. Cruel pilot banter. That footage could have done untold damage to its case. When Mr. Assange published collateral murder, the US military said, all evidence available, quote unquote, supported the conclusion that Crazy Horse 1-8 shot armed insurgents. Then US Secretary Robert Gates called the investigation very thorough. He said soldiers were operating in split-second situations and that these people, i.e. WikiLeaks, can put out anything they want and they're never held accountable for it. I'm going to address these points one by one. Point one, the military said US forces returned fire and called in helicopter support after being attacked with small arms and RPGs on July 12, 2007. Quote, there is no question that coalition forces were clearly engaged in combat operations against a hostile force, end quote, said a spokesperson for US forces in Baghdad. Collateral murder showed that was a lie. Point two, the rules of engagement for US soldiers said, quote, do not target or strike anyone who has surrendered or is out of combat due to sickness or wounds, end quote. It was written on an ROE card given to U.S. troops. The International Law of Armed Conflict, to which Washington is a signatory, does not allow combatants to shoot people who are surrendering or no longer pose a threat. The Geneva Conventions prohibit attacks on the wounded. Collateral murder showed Crazy Horse 1-8 shooting a badly wounded man, said two unarmed bystanders who came to help, and the unarmed van driver. 
Despite this breach of the ROEs and international conventions, an AR-156 military investigation cleared the pilots. Quote, The AWT, or Air Weapons Team, accurately assessed that the criteria to find and terminate the threat to friendly forces were met in accordance with the law of armed conflict and rules of engagement. Same. Point four. A day after Mr. Assange published Collateral Murder, a military spokesman said there was never any attempt to cover up any aspect of this engagement, end quote. The Pentagon was deceitful in withholding the tape, while I arranged for foreign media bureau chiefs in Baghdad to meet senior military officials to talk about journalist safety. Point five. A separate spokesman said the military couldn't find its copy of the tape. Another lie. Chelsea Manning found it easily enough. Prime Minister Albanese. Mr. Assange faces 175 years in prison. Five of those charges relate to publishing the rules of engagement, including the ROE card given to US soldiers in Iraq. But those charges alone, Mr. Assange faces 50 years in jail. Think about that. 50 years imprisonment for publishing rules of engagement that showed the attack on Sayed and the minivan broke international law. Yet the United States didn't prosecute the man who pulled the trigger or anyone else in the chain of command. It didn't prosecute those who did the bogus investigation or engaged in the cover-up and lied about it. Prime Minister, Prime Minister Albanese, today as we mark the 20th anniversary of the US-led invasion of Iraq, I urge you to watch Collateral Murder, then bring Julian Assange home. That said, that said, I urge people here and beyond not to make this about the crew of Crazy Horse 1-8. The real criminals are the architects of the invasion, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld and co. The men responsible for an illegal and reckless invasion based on the lies that Saddam Hussein possessed weapons of mass destruction and had direct ties to Al-Qaeda. The men who put the pilots of Crazy Horse 1-8 above the Alamin neighborhood in eastern Baghdad in the first place. Thank you. Our final speaker today now, also another incredibly inspirational man. Here's Major David McBride. He blew the whistle on the Australian military leadership and their role in covering up war crimes. He is now facing a lifetime in prison on espionage charges, even though the information he released had no national security information. It was simply embarrassing to the government. It's not actually a crime to embarrass the government, apparently, but this government seems to have made it one. How very convenient. Later this year, he faces a jury trial which will focus on whether he actually did his duty as a lawyer, a lawyer and army officer, but which is likely to be a largely secret trial with unfair national security provisions, ensuring even the judge doesn't hear all the evidence. Thank you so much, Louise. I got to start today with a thank you. I mean, it, it, thank you uh, for being here, for being who you are. Without you, there is no me. Without you, um, they take me out the back and they just shoot me. In fact, they would like to do that. And that's one of the reasons why we push for publicity. And that's one of the reasons why publicity for Julian Assange saves his life 
if they could possibly kill him, we know that they've already tried to, they would do it. Um, and this saves people's lives. And it's a terrific country. It's a beautiful park. It's a beautiful country. And it's thanks to people like you uh, that make it so incredible. It's hard not to see that, you know, to feel the magic in this beautiful public park. Um, and like the other speakers, I acknowledge the traditional owners. Uh, they've obviously had magic here, uh, real magic for, for millennium. Um, till time began, as they say, which I think is more accurate. Now, people came to Melbourne. You weren't convicts like us in Sydney, the white people anyway. And uh, this is the, the heart of Australia's activism here in Melbourne. And so you can be very proud um, of what you've achieved. And um, yeah, so give yourselves a pat on the back. And in my, I, some people have already heard this speech, but I'll tell it again, because it's quite interesting. And it sums up everything that's wrong in Australia and why we have to change it and why you people are on the right side of history. Um, you really are. We will win this. We will win this, you know. And yes, doggy, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And uh, like, like most of us here, or everyone has a story to tell before they came to Australia. My... Uh, ancestors, uh, you know, my father's side were convicts, not just a couple, and they didn't just steal a handkerchief, they were professional criminals, um, <laughs> a higher class of criminal, they weren't amateurs, and, um, but they didn't go back to England, you know, they, they realised what we had here was special. My other ancestors came from Ireland in the potato famine, and again, they could have gone back, they didn't go back. And I think my history begins here. I think I've got more of the indigenous, you know, I think once you live in this landmass, live in this continent, live, uh, wake up to the beaches and the rivers and this, and this magical place, you become uh, Australian, whatever your uh, ethnicity was beforehand. And it's a, it's a magical thing. It's an absolute magical thing. You only have to go to a public school, a public hospital, and to see um, the little faces of the kids make, making their speeches and singing. It's not like America. It's not like Britain. We are better than them. We are better than America, and we do not have to take orders from them. <laughs> What's more, we demean ourselves. We demean ourselves when we do, and it's, it rots our soul. It seems to be the understanding and the, and the sort of Australian military apparatus that even though we don't like the Americans, we, we have to suck up to them uh, because they're going to protect us uh, when the needs come. Now, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. They won't, for a start, and I've seen the inside of their military apparatus and it's rubbish. They can't protect themselves. You know, they're like Darth Vader. You pull the head off, pull the helmet off, and then there's a shrunken head underneath. There's not much inside uh, their advertising. You know, they have a very, very uh, uh, much lower education rate than we do. They have nothing like we have. And every time 
we do what they say because we think they're going to protect us. We demean our soul. We demean our soul and it twisted out of shape. Now, you all know that. You all know that. Uh, you wouldn't be here if you didn't know that. But I want you to know that I know that. I know that. And I'm prepared to go to jail. I went to good schools. I went to Oxford University. I went to Sandhurst. Um, and you reckon I'm some sort of traitor. Uh, I'm not a traitor. I'm not uh, working for any foreign government. I'm working for the truth. After 9-11, the American uh, security apparatus had this saying, the gloves are off, which meant we can break the law, we can kill people, we can do whatever it takes. The problem, if you put state survival above values, you end up without a state. There is nothing left to protect. I say to Albanese, if, if you put me in jail, if you don't help Assange and you spend the money that should be helping our disadvantaged people, if you spend that on stupid American gadgets where the money is just going to go back to American corporations, uh, you have failed Australia and there is no Australia to protect. If you turn us into some maximum security prison where people aren't allowed to protest, uh, when people who tell the truth are jailed, you are, I mean, Albanese is a disgrace to the labour movement, really. I mean, how did that happen? And yes, he might be deposed like they deposed Gough Whitlam, but Gough Whitlam is remembered as a saint, as a hero. I say this to the idiots in the Sydney Morning Herald and wherever, Paul Keating is a hero. Paul Keating is an absolute hero. I take my hat off to the guy. He said, you know, when people are no longer fettered by the chains of government, look at Malcolm Turnbull, Malcolm Fraser. They all say the same thing. The Americans are holding us hostage. The Americans only care about themselves. The Americans are prepared to sacrifice us for their own gold. And it's not good enough. We say no. We say no to giving up Australia. You know, we're, there's only a small, a relatively small group of us here, but we are absolutely right. We are absolutely right. And even if we don't win this battle, in years to come, in hundreds of years, people will remember us like they remembered early, early civil rights movement in the UK, where they, the Peterloo Massacre, where they got run down by cavalry for just protesting... Uh, for, for working rights or basic rights. We're, we are the people that started the civil war against the king. At the moment, we've got this divine right of ministers where they think they can do anything because they're a minister. They can't. They've got to abide by the law. And I'll, I'll finish on this. There's a senator uh, from the Greens. The Greens have been fantastic. They have totally supported me on this, and it's funny that a lot of people don't really realise that they are the only party with a bit of muscle, with a bit of backbone, uh, and it's really quite incredible. Uh, so I want to thank them.
Again, I want to thank everybody here. Don't give up this fight. We will win. They'll probably put me in jail, not because the law doesn't support me, but because they're going to say national security. National security. Yeah, well, it's okay if they do, because I've had such a privileged life. I've, you know, I'm almost 60 now, and I've had a fantastic time. I've got two wonderful children, and I thank all the people that have donated money that have helped me keep their heads above water. Um, if someone has to go to jail, it may as well be me. And I am prepared to do that. No, I am. It's true. It's true. And um, because it may be the only way, as Jacob said at the beginning, you know, protest doesn't necessarily change things, but the public support me. And when people see that I get locked up in jail because I told the fucking truth, it does bring it home. Well, what is wrong with the government when the government of this country, which is meant to be a democracy, which is meant to be a good country, puts a truthful officer in jail for life. Nothing illustrates how messed up we have become than that. And maybe going to jail and the walls will fall down. I'm not saying I'm going to stay there for very long. You're all going to come and get me out. Put the old, uh, <laughs> the old uh, file in the cake trick or whatever. Disguises. Uh, I want you to all think I'm a good one. Parachuting in. Hi hijacking a helicopter. Who knows? We'll keep trying. We'll have fun like the, the prisoners of war in the Second World War. Because that's what we are. We're prisoners of war. Where our country is the country of truth, the country of justice, and their country is the country of lies and the country of greed. And I'll let you all get to the pub now. You deserve it. I know there's some fantastic bars in Melbourne, much better than Sydney. But I will say we are going to win. We are going to win because we are absolutely right. Don't forget Daniel Duggan. Daniel Duggan, American, well, he's an Australian. He's an Australian. And uh, he's a proud Australian. And Albanese and Dreyfus are letting him be shackled. Shackled, you know. That's a disgrace. And there's no excuse for that. There's, there can only be one excuse for that, and is that the Americans own us. And the only reason the Americans own us is because of some crappy donations. I mean, why wouldn't you just stand up, let the Americans depose you, uh, and be a hero, and be, be someone that you can always, whenever you walk down the street, people say, that is the first Prime Minister that stood up to the Americans, and people would clap you. Like, you know, as if a parliamentary office with a chair from office works and a broken strip light is really <laughs> worth your self-respect. One day, I hope, uh, Senator Wish Wilson is the Prime Minister and uh, one of his friends, I'll be his Minister for Defence or something. Maybe a Minister without portfolio. But I hope all of you can be remembered. Give yourselves a pat on the back because I would be dead without you. My children would be orphans and they would, be, they would not be in a good place, I have to say. And your kindness and your support uh, keeps me alive, and if I can stay alive, we can win this. And you're in Assange, and we can break AUKUS, and 
we will be so proud for as long as we live that we stood up. We were the 300, we were the people in Adjun Corps, uh, and everyone else will want to be us. Thank you so much. We've been listening to Dean Yates and David McBride at the rally in support of Julian Assange's release held on Saturday, March 18 in Melbourne. Hi, this is Liz Stringer and you're listening to The Mighty 3CR on 855 AM and digital radio, 3cr.org.au. This one, I think you might know this song. This one, get me out of the city.
You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, your community radio station. The announcement that Australia is a happy signed-up member of the AUKUS Nuclear Subs Club last week sent shivers down the spine of any thinking Australian. A rally against the move to a nuclear Australia and war with China at the US behest was held outside the State Library on Saturday. First, we hear from David Sweeney from ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, who emceed the event. Dr Margaret Beavis from the Medical Association for Prevention of War. John Landis, former diplomat, and Kevin Bracken, former MUA, Maritime Union of Australia State Secretary. Here we go. Good to see you here. Welcome. We've received solidarity from representatives of the Kulin Nations who can't be here today. Send solidarity and, and greetings to this message. I want to acknowledge that we're standing here today on unceded land of the Kulin Nations. It always was and it always will be Aboriginal land, like all of this country. And it's important to say that today because First Nations people in particular are particularly impacted by the nuclear industry in the history of Australia. It's 70 years ago this year that the first mainland nuclear test happened at Emu Field in South Australia. 70 years ago in October this year. And the Atomic Imperial Project continues. Now we're smaller in number, but that's because this has been a quick turnaround in response to a pretty ugly week. And I'm sure a lot of people heard the Bureau saying this was going to be a pretty ugly day, pretty hot and trying. So we're going to keep it pretty brisk today. We ask very much that you take care, keep hydrated, even though it's not beating down sun, it's still warm enough. Keep hydrated, do the sunscreen, don't be like me, put on a hat and keep an eye on each other. My name's Dave Sweeney. I work as a nuclear analyst and advocate, a nuclear-free one, analyst and advocate with the Australian Conservation and National Environment Group. I'm also one of the co-founders of ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I know that there's other people from ICANN in this audience today, and a big shout out to, to them, because that's the initiative that Australia should be showing. That's the initiative Australia should be showing. That initiative grew here, in this town, was launched here, in this town at the Parliament up the road in 2007. And 10 years later in 2017, it was pivotal in seeing the adoption of an international treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons, the worst weapons of mass and indiscriminate destruction in our world. In 2017, it won or was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for that work. In 2021, that treaty entered into international law. And for the first time now, long overdue, nuclear weapons are illegal in international humanitarian law. Now that is Australian leadership on nuclear. Not getting subs not spending so much money for so little. It's good to see you here today because it's important to affirm ourselves that we're not alone. Because a lot of people 
sitting, standing, reading the paper, listening to the radio on Tuesday morning would have been gobsmacked and felt alone. Where did this come from? How did this happen? Who decided in whose interest? Who asked me? Well, no one did. That's the whole thing with this. No one did. This idea was brought up by three men, Boris Johnson, Scott Morrison, Joe Biden. It was announced as a surprise and in secret. Two of those three have now gone. So should this plan. The biggest defence spend in Australia's history. $368 billion and growing. Opening our ports to foreign subs. Opening our land to high level radioactive waste that lasts hundreds. Literally, Nuclear Regulatory Commission of the United States, hundreds of thousands of years. No discussion. No cost-benefit analysis, no risk assessment, no public debate, no parliamentary debate. There is no mandate for this. This is the apex of creepy, controlled, secretive processes done Orwellian-style in the name of democracy. There is nothing democratic about the most consequential decision in Australian defence and foreign policy history made without public input at all. So a week's a long time in politics and this has been an ugly week. Take care of yourselves, folks. Because for many of us, this is something we've worked on for a long time. We need to take care of ourselves because we unfortunately now will need to continue to work on it for a long time. So if you're sad, shocked, angry, disappointed, frustrated, you're not alone. And you are absolutely not alone. There are snap actions in Australia and cities this weekend all around the place. G'day. My name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. Now, one of the key AUKUS concerns is the human cost, the environmental cost, the economic cost, but particularly the human cost of war and of war fighting preparations. Our first speaker today... It's Dr. Margaret Beavis. Now, Margie is a GP and she's a medical educator. She's the National Secretary of the Medical Association for the Prevention of War and she's the co-chair, a co-chair of ICANN. And she has worked hard, long, effectively to do preventative healthcare medicine by preventing war, the ultimate health abuse. Great pleasure to introduce Margie Beavis today. Thanks, Dave. Thank you all for coming. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional, traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and this land was never ceded. There are so many things wrong with these submarines on so many levels, it's hard to know where to begin. Government is all about choices and the future direction of Australia. Our government could be choosing a healthy, well-educated society where poverty and homelessness are effectively addressed. Instead, they're choosing an extremely high-risk, 
extremely expensive, aggressive submarine that's poorly suited to defending Australia. Numerous experts, technical experts, have come out saying it's highly likely that by the time these submarines arrive, if they arrive, they will be obsolete. And worst of all, these submarines lock us into yet more American wars. It's almost 20 years ago to the day that we joined America invading Iraq. Lest we forget, almost a million Iraqis died. The wars we joined with them in the US, in Afghanistan, and in Vietnam, millions more of women, children, civilians died because of these wars. Australia is willfully blind to the cost of these wars. War with China is unwinnable and will be so much worse than all of those. The only winners will be the weapons companies. I was appalled this week to hear members of parliament spouting talking points that I saw in Lockheed Martin advertisements four or five years ago. So what are the real costs of these subs for the Australian people? For local communities, these are floating naval nuclear reactors. We may never be told if there's an accident while they're in port. Rex Patrick, a submariner himself, with freedom of information, found that Defence did not want an independent regulator. They want to regulate themselves. Indeed, in England, the UK has said it will not tell, since 2017, it will not tell any of the British people if they have a nuclear submarine accident anywhere. Australia may well do the same. Ports and construction sites will become nuclear weapons targets. And which lucky community is going to be left with the high level radioactive waste? We can't even find a community to take the much less toxic nuclear waste that we have ourselves, and that is a much tinier amount. For Australia more broadly, this means that there will be much less spending on critical needs. What really makes Australia safer? Not these submarines. Climate change is clearly our biggest threat. Bushfires and floods are only going to increase. Just imagine 350 public servants working with in-depth strategic long-term planning for climate and a budget that's perhaps half of what these submarines were. Australia would be a leader on climate action and we would have many, many more jobs than the paltry amount that are promised to us. As a GP, health is close to my heart, but I think health is close to everybody's heart. The public hospital system was underfunded before the pandemic. The AMA said that over 30 billion had been stripped from hospitals between 2016 and 2020. It's no surprise we have long waiting lists, an undermining of Medicare with no indexation, so the out-of-pocket costs are rising and rising for patients. We have pathetic underfunding of preventative health care. And for primary health care, the GPs, 
it said that if more than $20 billion, we could save more than $20 billion in admissions to hospital if they were properly funded. Instead, we faced more cuts, more budget repair. We are heading down the path of the broken US health system, where people go bankrupt due to their health expenses. And the health outcomes are so much worse because people can't afford to see a doctor. I've worked in New York for three years as a doctor and it was terrible that people presented so late and so sick. What else would make Australians safer than these submarines? Looking at poverty, in Australia today, there are three million children who are living in poverty. These families are more than $280 a week below the poverty line. These children are largely from single parent households. They say about half of children from single parent households live in poverty. New Start is the second lowest in the OECD. We should hang our heads in shame. When the COVID payment came in, we halved poverty overnight. We know what we need to do to reduce poverty. We just choose not to do it. With inflation, there are soaring costs for essentials, for food, for rent, and for energy. The COVID payment, right now there are people on income support who are skipping meals, foregoing essential medicines, and turning off their hot water just to keep a roof over their head. Homelessness and lack of housing needs greater funding. ACOS is calling for a 10-year, 25,000 dwelling per year pipeline of social housing investment. That would be a doddle compared to building these subs. Domestic violence services are completely overwhelmed. More than one woman a week dies at the hands of a violent partner, and countless more suffer because they have no options. Legal aid in Australia is broken. The Law Council has said that hundreds of millions of dollars of cuts by successive federal governments has pushed legal aid to the brink of collapse. I could go on, closing the gap, our schools and universities, so many other vital society needs are underfunded. Diplomacy, they've increased the funding a little for diplomacy, but it needs to be front and center, it is key to maintaining peace and should be central to our efforts. So to conclude, and others will speak to this, this is an exorbitant cost for an extremely risky project. It sets a very dangerous proliferation precedent. It locks us into the next US war, and it's likely to spark a regional arms race. But most of all, what does it mean for us heading where we're heading as a nation? I'd like to quote Paul Keating saying that this is the worst international decision by an Australian Labor government since Billy Hughes tried to introduce conscription way back in World War I. <laughs> Government is about making choices, and this one is a total disaster. Instead of a reckless, exorbitantly expensive, obsolete, aggressive catastrophe, 
or should I say a ca catastrophic boondoggle, we need real action on climate change and a fairer society. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie Peters. That's a prescription for sanity just there, and it's also a sad reflection of where we are and the choice that's been made this week. Now, part of the subtext of AUKUS, AUKUS, A-U-K-U-S, is another five-letter word, C-H-I-N-A. It's amazing. Massive trading partner. A few years ago, it was like, this is going to propel us into prosperity forever. A few years later, it's like the biggest demon in the world has spun out of nowhere and some people and some players and some papers that should know better, red alert, banging the drums for war in the most irresponsible and reckless way. It is a disgrace. It's not only a disgrace, it's a danger. It's a provocation and it's a risk. Now, one person who knows a lot about China is our next speaker. John Lander was a Korea diplomat, and that included a stint as deputy ambassador in Beijing. He's familiar with the place, its people, its politics. He's a regular commentator, especially in the policy journal Pearls and Irritations, and it's great to welcome John here today. Thank you, David. Today we are facing the 20th anniversary of the destruction of Iraq and the wanton slaughter of a, over 100,000 people, or hundreds of thousands of people. When the lie of the weapons of mass destruction was revealed, the excuse was given, oh, we joined the coalition of the willing should have been called the Coalition of the Killing, uh, to preserve our precious alliance with the United States. The Coalition of the Killing was formed under the pretext of the ANZUS Alliance. Like some odious strain of a pandemic virus, it has now mutated into AUKUS to lie us into yet another war. The new great lie, which we have seen splashed across the pages of the television screens and of the Nine Network, is that China is a military threat to Australia because of its imminent attack on Taiwan, whose democracy Australia is somehow obliged to protect. It is a lie that Taiwan is a separate entity from China. It is a lie that China intends to seize it by force. And it is a lie that it has plans to do so within the next three years. A triple whammy of lies. Taiwan has been a province of China for centuries longer than Australia has existed as a nation. And Australia, with its recognition of the People's Republic of China, affirmed that fact. In his New Year address, President Xi Jinping reiterated his country's commitment to the peaceful, gradual reintegration of the Chinese family 
on both sides of the Taiwan Strait. Some threat that is. A further lie is that China is bent on aggression towards Australia. China has not surrounded Australia with hundreds of military bases, as the US has done to China. China does not conduct frequent, regular freedom of navigation operations in Australian waters, as the US and Australia do to China. China does not conduct freedom of overflight operations in Australian skies, as the US and Australia do to China. Although under the so-called rules-based order that Australia espouses, China would have a perfect right to do all of that to us. China has not vowed to increase the range and lethality of its high-end warfighting capability to well beyond its shores, as Australia has done. China has not threatened Australia with a nuclear strike, although Australian, American and even Chinese geopolitical analysts agree that if Australia were to go to war against China, it would make itself a target. If America succeeds in provoking China into war, US operations in that theatre will be launched, commanded and controlled from Australia, thus leaving us no choice but to be a major target. Now that Richard Miles has declared that all US assets are interchangeable with the Australian Defence Force, the identity of the ADF can be used as a cloak by the US. So America will be able to use its preferred option of conducting its military hostilities against China by proxy, as it has openly admitted it is doing against Russia in Ukraine right now. The US continues, even last week there was another congressional visit to Taiwan, it continues to try to manoeuvre Taiwan into being the trigger proxy for the war. Australia, Japan, the Philippines and any other country that the US can knit into its network of alliances will be supporting proxies in this lethal theatre of the absurd. Australia is now on board the American war train which is hurtling out of control down the track towards the abyss. Instead of shutting our eyes and enjoying the ride, we should all stand up and put on the brakes. Thank you very much, John Landon. G'day. My name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. Now, many sections of the Australian community have worked long and hard for peace and have a long connection with peace and anti-war struggles. Australian trade unions have a proud and pivotal role in this and it's heartening to see Australian trade unions now, some at least, 
starting to get over the shell shock of what this decision is and starting to say, yeah, okay, there's some jobs, but there's a hell of a lot of risk and there's a hell of a lot of jobs elsewhere. Unions in, unions in Britain have launched a campaign around AUKUS and militarisation in the UK. Fund workers, fund welfare, defund warfare. Our next speaker is Kevin Bracken. He's the former State Secretary of the MUA and they have a long history in progressive struggle, in working and building peace and in preserving nuclear free seas. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Dave. Our uh, secretary can't be here today and he's asked me to read this out as a message from the Maritime Union of Australia. Our mainstream media are trying to manufacture consent for the Australian government to commit us on the path of war with China without having any debate unless there's a groundswell of opposition from the people. We've signed up for a nuclear submarines that have gone from $100 billion to now $360 billion in a week. As every major defence contract has done, this cost will continue to increase as time goes on. For a small fraction of that, we could bring back our own shipbuilding industry and manufacture ships for our defence, not offensive weapons to be used in a battle between two competing superpowers. These yards could be used to also be used to build construction vessels for the offshore wind farms that would be built off our coast. There are only a few vessels that are used for constructing wind farms and they're already booked out in years, for years in advance. If our government was serious about defending Australia, they should fix our problem for, with our fuel security. It wasn't brought out until the open until the Maritime Union mornings when the government allowed the last of the Australian tankers to be run by flag and convenience operators. We have about three weeks of fuel until the Army, Navy, Air Force, emergency services, trucks, farm machinery and our cars come to a grinding halt. If the government was concerned about security, this would be the first item to address. 90% of our refined fuels are imported. We do not have one Australian flag tanker and we have only two refineries operating here. The current government's blind subservience to the US alliance is not adding to our security, but making the possibility of a nuclear war a likely possible outcome. For over 30 years, the US has abused its hegemonic position as the only superpower to the benefit of a few and against the interest of the other 99.9% .9 of the world's people. Have we learned nothing after following the USA in its futile overt wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. Such wars have brought death, destruction and destitution to the people of these countries, leaving tens of millions of people to seek refuge, to leave their homes and seek refuge in a world that unfortunately too often is indifferent to their suffering. The military industrial complex and the corporations that profit from the pillage of these countries' natural resources count their profits in dollars while the people count their cost in bodies and misery. The cost of war to us is also not only financial, but borne by our military in deaths, wounds, post-traumatic stress, ill health and suicide. War with China would bring the war to us. With Australia jointly operated nuclear submarines, we are automatically in any war between the USA and China or any other country that they declare war on. Why is it that every new defence strategy comes after our Prime Minister visits Washington? 
from buying nuclear submarines to our new alliance, AUKUS, but it should be properly called USUKA, you sucker. But that would be too honest and too open about what it's all about. It's time for us to realise that the military industrial complex in the West is classically fascist. The same people move seamlessly from the positions of the Department of Defence and the boards of Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin and other companies that form part of the military industrial complex. As Mussolini said, I prefer not to call it cap fascism, I prefer to call it corporatism. It's the merger of the state and the corporations. Now our politicians seem to be operating in their best interest, not ours. With every crisis, the media works up the population, then the banks and the corporations with a military, industrial, pharmaceutical line-up for the government checks. Of course, they're always paid for by the people, but we're always assured that they're doing it for our security. The MUA fully supports today's rallies, which are being held all over the world, and we condemn the cowardly subservience of the Australian government that it's exhibiting to the Warhawks in Washington. The Australian Constitution states that the Australian government's run by the people through its representatives. We must remind them that they govern for us, with our permission, not over us. Democracy is not about voting every three or four years, it's about holding our representatives to account. And I want to thank everyone here for making the effort to come out here today, and it's up to us to lift the, real, the consciousness of other people about what's really going on here. Thank you. We've just been listening to some of the speakers at the anti-AUKUS rally outside the State Library, Melbourne, on Saturday. David Sweeney from ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, who emceed the event. Dr Margaret Beavis from the Medical Association for Prevention of War. John Landis, former diplomat. And Kevin Bracken, former MUA State Secretary. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, your community radio station. In the final part of the program, we're going to the rowdiest event of the day, First, the pro-trans anti-Nazi protesters met at Carlton Gardens and then moved quickly to outside Parliament where they were barred by a line of cops and police on horseback from reaching the relatively small cohort gathered to listen to Kelly J. Keane, also known as Posey Parker, a British anti-transgender rights activist, or that's what she calls herself, and the founder of the group Standing for Women, who was supported by Liberal MP Moira Deeming and a line of coordinated black-clad young men holding a sign saying, Destroy Pedo Freaks, and at one stage through the Nazi salute. We hear some of the speeches at the Carlton Gardens and then hear Jerome Small's unforgettable reaction to the avowed Nazis on Victoria's Parliament steps. Just a warning, there is some swearing. I'd like to point out and highlight, in case people missed it, one of the things that the last speaker said about this tour actually being uh, funded by the right. Have people heard of CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference? We've 
got confirmation that they are actually paying for Keynes events to take place around the country. Yay! So much for standing up for women. <laughs> so one of the other groups um, that's sponsoring uh, or backing this tour is Binary Australia. This is the rebranded wing of the No campaign in the marriage equality plebiscite. Um, and it's a group that has uh, quite seriously um, targeted uh, our next uh, speaker, Roz Ward. Um, people would have heard of Roz um, from the Safe Schools Coalition, from socialist activism um, all around Melbourne, and for being the arch nemesis um, of uh, the sponsors of this tour. So please make her very, very welcome. Thank you. Thank you everyone for being here. Um, yes, Binary Australia, what a shit show. Um, what a pathetic bunch of losers, honestly. They lost in marriage equality and they're going to lose again because we know on the left, we know in the queer liberation movement what it means to struggle and I wanted to talk about that today. There's a new documentary on ABC, it's called Queer Australia. I recommend watching it because there's stories in there that you might not know about the history of LGBTI plus liberation in this country. I want to talk about some of the struggle that we stand on the shoulders of. The struggles of the activists in 1978 who organised a demonstration in Sydney in solidarity with the ninth anniversary of the Stonewall riots in America. Their march down Oxford Street in Sydney became a turning point in the history of the struggle for LGBTI rights after it was brutally attacked by the New South Wales police. The police are not on our side. They never will be on our side. Fuck the police. I want to commemorate the activists who were involved in ACT UP in the 1990s in this city in the fight to get AIDS recognised and treated and taken seriously by the homophobic politicians. Those activists who replaced the wooden crosses in the floral clock in the war memorial with flowers. The activists who abseiled into parliament and who held a kiss-in in Burke Street Mall in the 1990s when the government banned an AIDS poster because it featured two men kissing each other. And I want to pay tribute to the Equal Love campaigners who would not take the second best options that were offered to us by the Labor Party. Let's remember that. Let's remember where the Labor Party stood on marriage equality because they can, everyone can fucking claim it now, can't they? But it was Julia Gillard, apparently an anti-sexist, not really. Not my sister. It was Julia Gillard who said, oh, actually, the values of this country are the values of the Bible. That was Julia Gillard's position. Yeah. And Penny Wong's position, if you remember, and I'll remind you, was, no, I know, I understand, but uh, the position of the Labour Party is not to support equal marriage. That was Penny Wong. You don't get to be a hero just because you're a lesbian if you're on the wrong side of history. Let's remember that. And I want to pay tribute to the young people that I worked with through the Safe Schools program from 2010 when we started. And I was talking to Andy Medic just before 
about the first school we ever supported a transgender young person to affirm her gender identity in Geelong and the team of people that gathered around to offer their support and the questions that were raised about how is this going to go? Can we really do this in a school? And we answered that question with Safe Schools Coalition. That was the first person that I know in Victoria who affirmed their gender in school and I supported her. And we affirmed that that was possible dozens and dozens more times over in Safe Schools Coalition. And those trans and gender diverse young people who took that first brave step to say, this is who I am and you have to support me. That's who we're, there, we're here today to support as well. That their rights cannot be shoved back in the closet. That our rights as LGB people, as queer people, cannot be shoved back in the closet by these transphobic bigots, by the far right, by the conservatives who support them. Because we know what it means to struggle, and sometimes struggle can sound like a negative thing. So I want to just make sure that we have the same understanding of struggle today. Actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, which I did, because, you know, I'm a teacher, um, it says to make strenuous or violent efforts in the face of difficulties or opposition, an act of strongly motivated striving. We struggle because we have somewhere we want to get to. And whoever wants to fucking stand in our way, we'll fight them. That's what struggle is. Fighting for a better tomorrow. So I want to say no to sexism, no to homophobia, no to transphobia. We will fight, we will win. Put the bigots in the bin. Put the bigots in the bin. We will fight. We will win. Put the bigots in the bin. Come on. Thanks so much for that speech, Roz. Um, the next person um, that we have up to speak um, is Andy Medic. So Andy um, is a former MP, um, a supporter of LGBTI rights, a parent of trans children and an activist. So please make him welcome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. How amazing is Ross? Hey, just extraordinary. Look, I want to start by saying that we meet here today on what was, is and always shall be the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Yes, my wife and I are the proud parents of two trans kids. Yes, we had been targeted. Yes, they had been targeted. But so has everybody else in the trans community. And we stand in solidarity with them. In my time in the parliament, I made no secret of what I supported. I wore my heart on my sleeve. Proud trade unionist, always will be. Proud campaigner for LGBTIQA plus rights, always will be. Always will be. There's a fight going on today in this world, in this country, in this state, and it's a fight on two fronts. It's a moral fight for the rights 
of our trans family. We have to protect them. Trans kids are 16 more times at risk of self-harm than any other cohort. 16 more times at risk of attempting or actually taking their own lives than any other cohort of youth in the world. And it's because of far-right fascist bastards who are standing out the front of our parliament now. It's a moral fight. It's a political fight. Because at the last election, people like me were targeted to be gotten rid of. We have in our parliament now far-right, homophobic, transphobic, openly politicians in our Victorian parliament and there are 18 of these bastards standing today in the New South Wales election. All of them whipped up by people like Kelly J. Kane. People who openly accept the support of neo-Nazis, of white supremacists, of anti-transphobes, sponsored by far-right, sponsored by Tories. There's an obligation for all of us to stand with our LGBTIQA plus community, all of them, all of them. We have to. You're an ally like me. There's an obligation that you have to bring more allies to the cause. We cannot let their voices be louder than ours. I'll finish now, but I'll finish on something I said when I helped pass birth certificate reform in the upper house. I see you. I love you. And if needs be, with my last breath, I will stand in front of you and protect you. Thank you. We can't let their voices be louder than ours. Are we going to let their voices be louder than ours? No! Are we going to let them be louder than us? No! One more time, will we let them be louder than us? No! No, fuck no! We're going to march soon and we're going to hear from some more speakers down the other end of our march. But just before we go, uh, before we get down there, before we hear some of the bile that Keane and her supporters are going to spew, I want to point out one thing. These people claim that they stand for women. We know that they absolutely don't. We know people like Moira Deeming um, from the LNP will be there. Um, We know these people are the enemies of women. But I want to talk about something that is actually a threat to women today. We have a massive cost of living crisis. We have massive increases in the price of petrol, in the price of housing, things that disproportionately impact the lowest paid workers, women in gender segregated industries, women that get paid like shit. We know that financial barriers like these are the number one barrier to people exiting uh, violent relationships, 
to people being able to have control over their own lives. Not one of these people down the other end, not one of these people at this protest will say one word about that. The people paying for their tour are the people who proclaim themselves the Thatcherites, the Reaganites, the lovers of John Howard. So not only ideologically are these people fucking sexist, fucking transphobic, but they also stand for a world where every kind of oppression, where every kind of poverty, where every kind of boot on the face of working class people uh, gets its way. Yeah, fuck them exactly. So we're going to march off now. Um, we want to stay together as a big Queer, straight, black and white, unite! Unite! Unite and fight the right! She insists that she has nothing to do with the far right. She insists that she has nothing to do with the Nazis. She insists that she is neither left nor right. But look at the National Socialist Network and the intersection today. That tells us everything we need to know. Percy Parker, you can't hide. You've got Nazis on your side. Percy Parker, you can't hide. Well, it could be that maybe not everyone has seen the despicable sight in front of us of fucking, of, of fucking fascists doing the straight arm salute in the streets of Melbourne in 2023. And, and we should sear that into our brains because every single person that sees that repulsive salute knows at least six million good reasons why we have to shut them down and say, no Nazis never again, no Nazis never again, no Nazis, no Nazis, no Nazis, no Nazis, no Nazis. No Nazis! 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 You the fuck off! Oh, oh, but Posey Parker is a rebel! Oh, Posey Parker, what a rebellious, controversial figure. Well, fuck that. Posey Parker is funded by billionaires to pull the entire political spectrum to the right. She is funded by CPAC, literally funded by the richest people in society, to do over women, to do over trans folk, to do over workers, and to promote the sort of filth that we see over there. And of course, the reason for that, of course, is because we're part of a bigger picture. And that bigger picture, in my opinion, is a system of capitalism. And the system of capitalism has been offering the fastest cut in real wages in generations. The system of capitalism has been cutting our actual lifespan. The life expectancy of people born today is two years shorter 
than what it was a couple of years ago. The first time in generations that that has been the case. And all that the system of capitalism can offer is $368 billion for the most sophisticated murder machines that the world has ever seen, the nuclear submarines. And the other thing that they can offer, the other thing that they can offer, because they can't offer better social services that might endanger their profits. They can't offer higher wages that might endanger their profits. What they can offer is hate and bigotry and dog-eat-dog and division. That's what the capitalist system offer and that's what these fuckwits over here are more than willing to provide. They're not rebels, they're scum. And we know every single place that so-called Posey Parker turns up, she puts together the same coalition. In Glasgow, actual deniers of the Holocaust used her platform. In Glasgow, people opposed to all immigration. In Glasgow, she tweeted her support for Tommy Robinson, the well-known British fascist. She knows what she's doing, and thank God we know what we're doing as well, which is saying no to all of that. The first time, and we've got to realise we stand in a long and very honourable tradition of telling Nazis to fuck off back to the sewer. We stand in a very long and honourable tradition. The very first time, the very first time, I only moved to Melbourne at the end of the 80s, the very first time when I took to the streets, when there was a bunch of bother boys, they declared that they were going to goose step their way up Sydney Road on a white pride march. And they reckon they're the fucking master race, you know? Yeah, genius idea. One of the most multicultural parts of Melbourne. They thought they were done against goose step their way, shouting for white pride. Well, it didn't happen. It didn't happen because 1,500 anti-racists and anti-fascists turned up and surrounded them and humiliated them. And they had to run the fuck away back to their sewer. That's where they belong. And sometimes it's not so easy as that. Sometimes they find a bit of a crowd. Sometimes they find a conscious right-wing fuckwit like Posey Parker, who is very happy to let the far right build their forces, which is why we have to keep turning out every time they raise their heads. And we also have to turn out for all of the things that the capitalist system is denying us. For life, for health, for dignity, for wages, for hope, for liberation. They've got their coalition of, of, of hate. They've got their coalition of bigotry. We've got our coalition of solidarity and strength and liberation. So let's keep drowning them out. Posey Parker, you can't hide. You've got Nazis on your side. Posey Parker, you can't hide. Posey Parker, you can't hide. Well, that's it for Solidarity Breakfast this week. We heard about the push by former Senator Rex Patrick to get FOI requests returned in a timely fashion. We heard from the rallies held to support Julian Assange, to not support AUKUS or the British transgender rights activist Kelly J. Keane, also known as Posey Parker outside Parliament, where her Nazi supporters were confronted by angry and determined supporters of trans rights. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. Let's go out with a little music.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.